and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Dr. Katie Prince, and she talks to us about growing up, being the only girl in a house with eight siblings, working up until her C-section, going back to work four days after having her daughter, and what running her vet practice in Sonoma County has been like. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by Healthy Horse CBD. Is your horse stiff, anxious, or in pain? Healthy Horse CBD can help with all of these and so much more. Healthy Horse CBD can also help your horse with arthritis or while rehabbing. Two strengths are available and works with all mammals. Apply on the lower lip daily for best results. Visit healthyhorse.co and use discount code capital S capital C two zero to receive 20% off your next purchase. Stable Connections is sponsored by Elk Grove Milling Incorporated, the trusted maker of Stable Mix Complete Feeds. Stable Mix products are available in most Western states through Tractor Supply, and their classic barrel program is available at your local California feed stores. Contact Stable Mix representatives at 916-684-2056 for personalized feeding recommendations on how to stretch your hay supply or provide complete nutrition to have a healthier, happier horse. Visit www.elkgrovemilling.com. born and raised in Southern California, Pasadena, California, and spent the majority of my childhood and upbringing down there, and then off to college, University of Montana, Missoula, Washington State for vet school. Why did you choose there? I just wanted to get out of California. I was at the point where I just needed to get out of the craziness of California, and I love to ski, I love to backpack, I love to horse pack, and Montana seemed very intriguing. It was hard to go to school. <laughs> because all, all the, of the fun stuff? With all the distractions. So I was, I was a bit more on the five-year plan than the four-year plan. I took some electives in life, which was good. I think everybody needs to go. Healthy balance. Yeah, and then get serious about what you're doing. And then off to vet school, and then out to Lexington, Kentucky. And then finally was out there for a few years and then made my way back to Southern California. Started my practice down there. And then I think I'm making a circular loop again. I'm going north. Mm. <laughs> Ended up here. So that's the cut, and, cut yeah. and dry of it. And with vet school, how early on in your life did you know that that was going to be your path? I always wanted to be a vet. I had this crazy idea that I wanted to be a vet of all creatures, cats, dogs, fish, Horses. Exotics you know, too? Eh, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> not so much. You know, I was the kid at a ranch that had three feral cats, you know, the puppy, the chicken being chased by a Canadian honker, <laughs> trying to tame it, you know. You know, James Harriet was huge growing up, and so that was the dream. <clears throat> and then quickly you get into vet school and you realize you can really only kind of be good at one species and we do get we do get a lot of farm dogs and farm things and we have neutered some barn cats at the <laughs> farm uh just keep population down but primarily primarily horses so 
And what was your horse life at a young age? So horses always involved in in our family upbringing. So we lived in Southern California, total suburbia. We were Monday through Friday, normal, normal kids, you know, bikes, BMX, big wheels, the Labrador. And then we thought everybody left on Friday night and went to the ranch. And so we have a cow operation up on the Kern River near Lake Isabella. So we became wild feral ranch kids we were wild we just things have so changed and i i had really no idea that we weren't normal (laughs) we were that was your normal uh, it was our normal and and raising a child now i realize i don't know how we didn't die and things are just different and so there were a lot of luxuries we had dune buggies and motocross bikes and horses and the rules from our parents were you be home at dark and there were other rules. You can't cross the highway. You can't gallop your horse home and put away a sweaty horse. We did all of those things, despite what they said. But, you know, you had to be home by dark. And they wouldn't worry about us until we weren't home at dark. And uh, little did we know growing up, though, that there was this whole network going down from the ranch. You know, Mrs. Smith would call Everyone and say, checks in. Well, there were, <laughs> uh, we didn't know how my dad ever knew, but, you know, it was like my, we'd show up and, you know, trying to cool your horse down, who's slathered in sweat, and there he was, and Mrs. Smith had called on the way of us galloping our horses home, and then we'd stop and try to cool them down and throw water on them and, you know, all those things. So there was definitely a network of eyeballs that we all saw. But that's where horses started for us. So working cow operation horses were not pleasure animals to us. They were... Uh, working. working animals and so we were involved in calf stuff and working ranch and then home we went Sunday night and back to school and we just thought that was that was normal that's cool it's like both worlds and you say we so I'm guessing you had some siblings so I have one real brother and then I have seven stepbrothers and so it was like a wild posse of and you're the only girl and I'm the baby and the only girl and wow. so you learn tough skills they were either your best friends and taking on the world or they were trying to kill you <laughs> or ways they could plot to try to hurt you <laughs> yeah. or get you in trouble. Uh, and so you grow um, a thick skin. You do. You do. And uh, a lot of life skills learned from them. So big group, big, big group. And that's probably what you do with that many kids is you just turn them loose. Send them loose. Hope that <laughs> it all works out. See who survives. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how it went. So um, I learned a lot by just watching them. Like don't, do that that was stupid and so a lot of good lessons learned just by observation like hmm he's probably not gonna make it (laughs) he's probably not gonna make it they all made it and then did you ever have like structured lessons yes so after a while of just work with horses which seemed really not that much fun I was like you know dad my brothers had no interest in taking it any further they had more fun with their motorcycles dirt bikes dirt bikes and dune buggies and fishing and so that got old you know you're like no none of none of my girlfriends want to go like fish with you guys now it's like that's all we want to go do but (laughs) it's true (laughs) so then we started with lessons and even though we had scads of horses my dad was like in order for us to take one of these horses and put them down in southern california where you have to board them and you're gonna have to do the time and I was like, what's the time? Like, what does that, what does that mean? He's like, we're not paying for it. You figure out how to make this work and you figure it out. So, you know, he dropped me off several places and I cleaned stalls for free, mucked water and, you know, did all those things. So I started really kind of formal lessons when I was about five 
And so one would say that's child labor, but (laughs) (laughs) not legal. But you get to meet some amazing people and it definitely taught perseverance if you really want it. And that was the whole point of it is there were a lot of gifts presented to us, but they weren't going to make it easy for us kind of the one hit wonder type mentality you know you start something and you're not going to be that vested so i had to do that for a year clean stalls fill waters you know that kind of thing and he said okay i think you've done your time let's bring one of the horses down who had no desire to be in arena oh no oh bolted (laughs) took off (laughs) why do you think he chose that horse um we had that horse that horse was safe until you put her in an environment in southern california where there are leaf blowers and and, you didn't know know that beforehand probably not we took her everywhere (laughs) we took her across the highway we you know went swimming with her we thought oh this would be perfect that horse had no desire to be socialized, lived in a box. And so that didn't work out so well, but he also didn't get in. He said, keep at it, keep working with her. And so that was about six months of hell. She just had no desire. You put her on a pack string, you could take her into the mountains, you could do anything with her. Nope, not gonna do lesson arena work. And she wasn't, she wasn't happy. And so finally he realized. So he would not go buy me another horse because his point was we have plenty of horses at the ranch if you want to try another one. And I was like, no. <laughs> it ruined it. <laughs> no, no. So Did you enjoy the arena riding or because she well, didn't? You know, I it? thought I thought the more harder they bucked and harder they like spun on you, the more fun it was. Yeah. Now not now. <laughs> not, not, no. <laughs> not that feeling anymore. No, no, I don't like it now at all. So we thought it was fun, but I couldn't get her to do anything that, you know, my instructor was like, this is crazy. But she she rode the wave and saw the path and it's like, okay, let's do this. So then he made me lease a horse and I was like, this just doesn't seem that fun either. But the, the lessons he was teaching me about how we get there were super important. So then it got fun because the push button was like, oh my gosh, I can ask for this and they want to do this instead of, you know a ranch horse and so at that point I was making a little bit of money cleaning stalls and he would match I'd put money in the bank and he'd match it and so got to the point where there was a little money in the bank and I said I think I can buy a horse dad and he's like really how much is in there and I clearly could not buy a horse with what was in there (laughs) and so you know I was jumping at that point and so we went we shopped horses and and basically he said i'm gonna match you what you have in there so he did and that's where my first competition horse started and that's how we always did our endeavor after that you know the horse would need to upgrade or i would need to do something different and so he's like let's shop let's save i'll match you which were great lessons because Unfortunately, I see a lot of, oh, my mom and dad just bought me this new horse and now it's broken and I'm not interested and I need a new horse. And so we went through trials and tribulations as everyone does with horses. There were times of significant layup and he said, you gotta work through it and do the time. And so those lessons that were taught wasn't about the competition, it was about caring for and being a steward of this animal. Probably ingrained in me, you know, how I take it with me from this point, especially in work. And I, I don't have much patience for that disposability of animals that I see a lot, unfortunately. And I have no problem saying that. And it's like, you got into this. The right path is to finish it out. And whatever happens, happens at that point. We sell, we retire, we make a companion horse, whatever we do. But this is on your watch and you can't hang it up. If you want to do that, then go get a BMX bike and just put it in the garage when it's broken. Yeah. Do you feel like it was hard for you to make the switch from growing up with like the working horses to then having horses as like companion fun? 
No, because I always had that ability of we were, you know, Monday through Friday, this is our schedule and this is what we do. And I'm kind of well versed in that now with my own daughter. It's like camp, swimming, soccer. It's like a gauntlet. I don't know how my parents did all of that agenda Monday through Friday to then turn it off. And we went and jumped on horses in the pasture without tack or anything on them. They'd take off and try to kill us on underneath the apple tree. And we thought that was fun. You know, we thought that it was a blast. You yeah. know, they were safe, very safe horses. Um, but they're still horses. And we did some pretty not intelligent <laughs> <laughs> but we're still here yeah now i walk the earth going don't do that oh my gosh don't no careful what you know i see it feels just like pre- preschoolers walking around with scissors all the time like oh my god no be careful don't put your face down there don't and not not just with my own child but human large human beings full grown <laughs> and you're like no don't do that so did you enjoy vet school you know people are like they, they're like, oh, it's the hardest experience of your life. Yeah, it's difficult, but it is not the hardest thing in life. So I graduated from college. I went into exercise uh, physiology, cardiac rehab, treadmill testing on patients, worked in that field for many years. With humans. With humans. And my patients didn't do very well. I kept seeing the same. It was just the field. I kept seeing the same things over and over again. And after a couple of years, you kind of like, I'm not really sure I'm making it difference in the world and I don't know personally this was sort of my own journey like I don't know how I can long I can do this like they don't make it <laughs> you see them back for another heart attack or they haven't lost the weight was that the first time doing because you knew you wanted to work with animals but did you just do that to kind of see what it would be like to work with people so my my background obviously I was pre-vet but I also did exercise physiology big interest in horses and exercise physiology just need a break from school. You know, I was sort of not ready to go to vet school, not maturity wise, but just sort of like, I think Mentally. there's more in life I need to go see and do, which I'm really glad I went and did it because the attrition rate when I got into vet school was huge. I mean, people would literally make it three and a half years just about going to clinics, be, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And they're like, I don't want to do this. And, you, and you're like, oh, you have to do this. You're so close. You can't back out. You know, you can't back out oh. now. We lost people the first, you know, the first few months of that school, just the pressure. And, and so, again, same lessons that my parents taught me. If you really, really want something, you're going to work for it. And when you get there... They could have paid for vet school. They could have paid those things. They offered, and I said, no, this one's mine. This this one is mine because, one, two things. One, no one's going to take it away from me. And two, I will value it much, much more if I have to figure this out. And that's what you've taught me, and that that's huge. And I don't, unfortunately, see that that often nowadays. And so it's like, oh, I, have, I went to law school, but I didn't pass. And then I went and did this, and I didn't pay. And you're just like... <laughs> No, and I still live at home. And that's okay. But that's not the path you want to work in this household. No, (laughs) no, 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 no. I don't have to worry about that with my daughter. She's, she's, you know, going, she's seven going on 35. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, I have the other problem. So it was good for me to just go out and exist in the real world for a little bit and figure it out. As when I got into that school a couple years after that, there was no question. It's like, get out of my way. And, and there was a lot of, fluff in vet school where it's easy to get distracted and you know this and that and there was just one purpose for me to be there and that's to get the best education that I could you know students and 
young adults that ride with me always say, you know, what, what's your best recommendation? You know, I really want to go to Cornell or I really, I'm like, you're going to go to vet school where you're going to get in. It isn't a choosy thing. You go where you get in and you're going to make the education that you put into it. You can get nothing out of it or you can gleam every experience and immerse yourself in it. And, and you should because it's expensive and it's the rest of your life. You know, they give you a track, they give you the core stuff. You can kind of breeze through it. Um, it's not going to benefit it's you. It's not going to benefit you. It's really not. Yeah. And then what you do afterwards is huge and important. You know, you get a very good education, but your hands-on experience is probably, I mean, I probably, well, I wasn't, but I saw because I was like, I'll do that. I'll do that. A lot of expert horse holders by the time they got done with vet school. And you're like, yeah, no, that's not going to work for you. Because when you get out there, and the ivory towers are wonderful. Trust me, you get to see everything. But when you get into the real world, the real world is not the ivory towers. When the client says to you, I don't have the money to do X, Y, Z. And you don't know how to find your way out of the rabbit hole with only Z. You better have some quick thinking skills and, and be... A little bit scared about how you're going to approach this and and you know every situation is different some yes you can do everything that the ivory towers give you you might see something you've never seen before you gotta figure out how to get out of the rabbit hole yeah <laughs> as we say so vet school was time consuming it was stressful at times but it truly and honestly was no different than life is and so it's a, just a very good preparation for life and what gets thrown at you and and honestly that's what that school's about is can you take the pressure or are you gonna crack i feel like that school in general it's teaching you to keep going mm -hmm. because there are classes that are hard or teachers that you hate or you're hungover and don't want to go to class or whatever the reason right. but it's like the the persistence of continuing yep. that actually is yep. the yep. that's part of in my opinion that's part of why school is so important show up be present Mm -hmm. Complete you know, it, it. It complete it. Nobody's gonna do it for you. You know, vet school. You definitely feel very spoon-fed everything. They tell you where to go. They tell you how to do it. That isn't gonna worry. It's no benefit. It, it's just absolutely no benefit to you when you get done. It really isn't. And I think you know, you're in the horse horse world. You have your own horses. You meet certain practitioners. You know the ones that you're like, okay, <laughs> I would have him or her on my island. This one they'd be the first we'd eat, <laughs> you know, and it, they're just life skills and coping mechanisms. And it's a wild ride. I mean, there, yeah, there are days where you're just like, oh, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, yeah. Did they teach you kind of the business side of things in vet school no. as well? No, nothing. No. I, I hope it's a little different now. No, I think the you know, as far as the medical training, you know, when you go to vet school, you don't just learn horses. Like I thought I just wanted small. Well, when I started, I wanted everything. And, and then I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to, Ooh, a pig. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to do that. You're like, wow, that smells really bad. That stuff that comes out of cat anal glands. Oof. Oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, no. So then the medical veterinary aspect, I mean, you learn the human, you learn all animals, you learn all species. You get a fantastic education about medical diseases and processes and normalcy. You do not get a good education about life skills and how to deal with people. And I hope that it's changed. It's, it's really hard. I, I question if it has. I think 
there's this big circular loop of why we see so many younger generation vets come out and their coping mechanisms with the day-to-day pressures are just too much and you know not one more vet all this stuff and and honestly i mean there is no one solution to this problem it's it's multifactorial and i think it's a bit also younger generation and the things that we've gone through i've seen people change i have changed since this whole covid thing and what's come out the other side and it's not covid but it's the restrictions and it's the i'm going to get there before you are and it's all about me mentality survival is just crazy and often i have to just pause and go count backwards don't react follow the path it, it's very interesting i don't think it's one solution it's multifactorial about how we try to help this younger generation coming through i don't know how much has changed with the business and emotional but i know it's on all practitioners minds about how do we mentor that younger generation because by the time you get to where we are you know 20 years in practice you're sort of like there are only a couple things that really would change you know for me and that would be you know a, a significant loss of my extended family that would that would blow me sideways you know there's so many things you weather through in life and as a veterinarian that you've seen a lot you've seen things that you probably never imagined you'd see that you kind of place them in different levels and on different pedestals and you know family is probably the, one of the most and and we always laugh at work maybe it's a little morbid but we always say you know yes we're a great clinic we're a great practice and a fantastic veterinarian but that's not what I want on my gravestone. There's more to life than just being an amazing vet. And there needs to be other some taglines also on there. And so how do you walk that path that you make sure those little boxes are checked? If I were to speak to a younger generation veterinarian coming through, it's like you gotta figure that out quick and leave it at the door. I worked for a vet when I was younger. I was his schlepper, Susie Schlepper. You After vet school or before? Before I went to vet school. Bill Brown, and he was a trip. His dog Guinness would growl at me every morning, and it was this dueling who was going to sit in the front seat because Guinness had ridden in the front seat for his probably entire life. I mean, that was probably Bill's fill-in wife when when she wasn't around, or maybe his wife when she was around. I don't know. So Guinness would growl at me every day about who was going to sit. I was going to either ride in the back, or Guinness was going to ride in the front, and vice versa. So Bill didn't really talk much when we worked it was kind of that quiet get stuff done yeah get stuff done a little 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 scratchy you know you kind of sometimes felt like you've just been rubbed with steel wool and you're like ouch you know you're like not sure if it's you yeah you know you're just like wow but you know the funny thing and I talk about them a lot I carried his stuff everywhere that was my job to carry it back and forth and back and forth and those were the days that like he had the first telephone that came in a case (laughs) it was like it felt like it was 75 pounds. It was probably 20, but I was like, and it was connected with the cord. So when he would talk and walk and work, I just have to follow him. And I'm like, I don't see where this is taking me in life, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it really well. He had a great analogy and he said, you know, I, there are only a couple things that I know and, and large family and kids and very busy practice. And he said, when you hit that door at the end of the night, okay, at the end of your day, whatever's happened, the shitty things that someone has said to you, the bad things that have happened in a case, the successes, the, oh, I didn't get that done today, I gotta deal with that tomorrow. He's like, you leave it right here. The minute you walk through that door, you don't take it out on your family, 
you know, take it out on yourself, it stops. It just stops. And that was, I don't want to tell you how many years ago, but here's a person who things have changed, you know, the world has changed, knew that those were the coping mechanisms is you cannot take it, you cannot take it home. And it does mesh into our lives. I mean, there's no question, phone rings all the time. But you can't let those burdens eat away at your foundation, family, how you break away, how you do that. Loved his job, but he's like, and then when you walk out that door, you pick that case back up and you start going again. And he's like, there are only a few things that really should deter you from that. And, and you have to sometimes pull apart. But he said, that, that's the best piece of advice I can give you is you don't take it through that door. And it doesn't mean that you bottle it, you don't talk about it, but you don't take it out on anyone, including yourself, that live with this lifestyle of Thanksgiving well, dinner. And you're all sitting there, you're like, and I got to go because <laughs> I got to call it. Yeah. You know, and, and he's like, you know, your family puts up with this. Yeah. Don't take it out on them. It, it's a shuffle and it's a, it moves and it shifts and it shifts a lot, you know, for me and, and the business with what's going on and what season. Breeding season is an absolute, <laughs> I don't know. I, I get to the end, like July 15th hit and that's the cutoff for us. For that just season. happened too. It did. <laughs> and I was like, it's July 15th. Why is there a mirror to be still bred? So it's a, it's a hard soft stop. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's crazy and it, it goes right meshed with, you know, foaling season and, you know, show season, but we make it to July 15th and then we go, oh my God, summer's over. Like we have to go places. We have to go on camping. We have to do this. So it's this mad rush before school starts. But, you know, there's a shift and you have to structure your day so that you carve out that time and you give yourself permission to do it. And you probably know as well as I do, whenever I try to leave with something that has a heartbeat and four legs. Uh, they're masterful they're like oh right i have gas i i'm gonna throw myself on the ground they they do this vortex thing that i can't live without you like i can't live with you two and a half hours out of this county there's just no possible way and it's just they they all do it and you're like oh (laughs) yes you can and it happens as soon as you put that in the world that you're going to carve out and you're going to leave your horse goes i think i might have fractured my leg (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it happens with clients too and it's this panic and shockingly it's crazy trying to get ready and leave and carve out that time and you drive out of the county and phone's ringing off the hook and then it goes quiet which makes you very anxious is that but, because you lost service <laughs> well, that, that, or did you pay the bill or yeah, uh, or, but, yeah then you start like is it working is everything okay then yeah. you start calling the office is everything okay and they're like it's fine relax so well and that's that priority list if your family is with you or your family is okay then that is priority you can't save them all you can't and you know we have a joke in our house and my daughter often says mom what is more important right now is it your phone or is it what we're doing? And I was mm. like, well, child who is so smart, <laughs> you are correct. But when you have your iPad and I've asked you three times to put your laundry in the laundry basket, what's more important? She's like, my iPad. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> good one. Good yeah. one. Yes. Yeah, so it's a, it's a shift. I mean, you know, people say gym in your house. I have to, I, I, will not it's not that i can't i will not miss my trainer's appointment coming here i have missed one vet appointment which i didn't technically miss it in 20 years 
it was one of those things. Somebody texted me. This is, oh God, 15 years ago, but I remember it so vividly. I didn't take it from the text and put it in my book. I got mm. busy doing something else. She called like an hour. She's like, I'm, is everything okay? You're never late. Not You're here. not here. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I did not write it down. And I'm so sorry I'm on the way. And I apologize profusely. And I, I just... I am so, so sorry. You so, made a mistake. Made a mistake. It almost <laughs> never happens in that avenue. But, you know, if it's in my book, I show up. So I have a trainer come at 5 o'clock in the morning. Yep, that's how I feel. She shows up often, and I'm on my bike and my slippers with my coffee cup. She's, like, really at it hard today in the slippers. And I'm like, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. Be gentle with me. But I have to. If I don't... I want to crush cans with my bare hands. <laughs> the stress has to go somewhere and you have to put back into yourself. And yes, I complain about it for the first 20 minutes and I think she's the meanest person in the world and I'm not really having that much fun and I just don't want to pay her for an hour to lay on the floor and just <laughs> play nice music and she won't. And then when I'm done, I'm like, I can start my day with like- You got that done. Steam, yeah. You know, kind of thing. So. It's making the process happen. It doesn't mean that I can't go to 24-hour fitness, but it won't happen. Mm -mm. The phone yeah. will ring, somebody will need something, and it's like, then you cut yourself off, and that, that just doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. So you came from vet school, you went back to Southern California, and then... No, vet school, then I did. So this is important part. You know, huh. people say, what, what would you do if you had just finished your vet school? You need to go see not five of what you just learned in school. You need to go see 500 of them. So I went out to Lexington, Kentucky. I did an internship at Rudin Riddle, which was an amazing experience. Smarty Jones was uh, just racing or retiring. Close. It was. It all happened when I was there. This famous is a racehorse. Horse. Okay. Yeah, famous racehorse. Not your era, my era. He, he had won tons of races, and so people are like, "You're going to, you know, work on the farms that Smarty Jones was," which was like, you know, amazing to us. So internship. The question when you get done with vet school is, do you do an internship or do you just find a practice or if you're crazy enough, you try to go out on your own, which I would never advise. You need to just go see more and more and more and more. So I got an offer for an internship at Idaho Equine, Colorado, Littleton, Large Animal, and then Rude and Riddle and all fantastic practices. But a very wise, wise veterinarian said to me, you will be able to go anywhere with any of those internships. Where does your heart lie? And I'm like, I think I need to go out of my comfort zone. I mean, Colorado, yeah, it's beautiful. I'll ski, I'll have a fantastic practice. Idaho, not that far from where I just went to school. I need to go, I need to go see the best of the best and, and have that opportunity. And and he's like, that will open doors for you. I promise it will just, just he's like, you could be a horrible vet and that's gonna open doors for you just because of where you've done your internship. And so don't be a horrible vet. Go nail it, and then you can go do whatever you want to do. And so went out, worked <laughs> like I've never worked before. Interns made $24,000 for the year. We worked from 4 in the morning, and then we wouldn't sometimes be done until 4 in the morning of the next shift. So you do all your breeding work in the morning. That's the first shift in the barn. So you follow along with your veterinarians and travel in a posse in the morning and do all your breeding work. And the vets, uh, I worked under Dr. Riddle, so uh, one of the founders of Rudin Riddle, who was an amazing, amazing mentor. And then you go and you do all the other stuff at the farm. So after the breeding work is done, then you go back and you do, we've got a sick foal, we've got this and that, and blah, blah, blah. Then you probably would get a break to run home and grab some food, feed your horses. 
And then you would start the post-breeding lavages in the evening after the mares got home from the breeding shed. So you do that and then you get home and take a shower and then foaling starts and you have to be there for every foaling, usually sometime between 11 and two in the morning. And sometimes you just were up all night. They would ping pong who was foaling. And so we were there for all the foalings. People say, well, how many, you know, how many mares did you foal out? And I'm like, well, between all of our farms that we were in charge of, I think I had something like 342 foals the Ooh. first year. And so in thoroughbreds, it's January to March. Learned a ton. Saw more than 500 of everything. And uh, an amazing group of practitioners to work with. Surgeons all over the world. I mean, phenomenal people. Podiatry Center, I learned a ton about the foot working with these guys that were not only, you know, farriers, but also veterinarians and some of the cutting edge stuff that was happening, really. That was kind of a big right turn with vets and farriers working together and about the medicine part of it, the sports medicine. Scott Morrison, Morrison Shoe, he was there. I mean, amazing. These guys are blacksmiths. They're not like, pick up your shoes from the shoe mart, not knocking it. You know, we'd take a horse with an issue and we'd walk it down there and discuss it and they would build a shoe for the horse, which have evolved into some of the shoes that exist today, but that was that was the thing. So pretty phenomenal experience and then stayed on after my internship and did that. And then the same mentor who said to me, what, what are you doing, you know, and you're foaling and all this you can sit here and do this for the rest of probably eternity. Stop thinking in year-to-year plans or what's your five-year plan, what's your 10-year plan. And that kind of knocked me off my feet. I was like, I haven't gotten there yet. I was just very busy. Trying to survive. Trying to survive and sleep. He was correct. And so I made the venture back to Southern California to work for a practice out there for just over a year. And then I realized, you know, I came from a practice with 100 veterinarians that were top notch in the world that I didn't really feel like I was going to be happy in anything else and sort of substandard what I considered standard and so jumped out of the nest that was scary started my own practice that was scary and what was scary about it just you know the ability of hey you have this paycheck that comes whether you're busy or not the stability of that and not the experience, not the startup. That was just a learning process, but like, what if it's not busy? And someone who's not an horse person said to me, so you go get another job somewhere else. Ding dong. And I'm like, oh yeah. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why that never crossed my mind. I was like, oh yeah, I can do that. And they're like, yeah, okay. And you know, then it, it just hit the ground. And now the reverse thought process is happening. It's like, how do I undo what I've done? <laughs> and you know, I, I don't know, do veterinarians ever retire? Do ever, do they ever stop doing what they're doing? It probably isn't ever going to happen completely, but it's, you know, I'm on the other side of how do I do this now? So I maintain these standards and boundaries and still challenge myself every day but also you know when I'm 80 years old I'm not you know somebody's pushing me out my wheelchair and I'm poking people with a cane going it's <laughs> <laughs> probably what's gonna happen so that's the evolution how did I get from Southern California to Northern California busy practice and and more in like Thousand Oaks area Thousand Oaks Malibu that was kind of my stomping ground which is very Similar in the number of practitioners that kind of we have in Sonoma County, a lot of vets, 
with pocket, I call them sort of boutique clinics. You know, the, the big clinics, hospitals up there, Alma Pintado, Phenomenal, Carter Judy, Erin Byrne, they were kind of my go-to, but it's an hour and a half away. So you have to figure out how to be a jack of all trades as a veterinarian and fix a lot of stuff in the field or stabilize it to get to your hour and a half UC Davis or Alma Pintado. And so not always the luxury of it being easy or you know, you're not up all night. We worked out of a leased facility where I had barn access, our office was in there. So we hospitalized mostly just for breeding stuff and bowling mares and you know, we'd occasionally take in a medical colic, but it was very, very small scale. It just cost of everything down there is crazy. And and I was so busy that it was like, ugh, 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 I don't know. That seems like an undertaking. And then I had my daughter. Okay. Mm, <laughs> then I had my daughter. And, and were you still practicing while you were pregnant? I'm very. Yeah. I was C-sectioning and they took my phone away because I was trying to cancel <laughs> appointments. Oh so she was breached the entire time and we knew it was a C-section. She was early for the C-section. I had worked and I was like, I just don't really feel that good, you guys. I feel... I don't know, maybe she's turning. I came up with all kinds of reasons why I did like, not. No, she's coming out. Yeah, she, I was in labor. <laughs> Bottom line, I was in labor. So that happened on a Friday and really wasn't very well Saturday. And Sunday was really, really not well. And I had an appointment Monday morning because I was having some preeclampsia stuff. So I had a routine check at the hospital where they hook you up to all the monitors. And long story short, I drove myself to the hospital because I was not feeling well early and was waiting and they were like, would you like to go up early? You're not looking great. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. And anyway, got up there. Oh my God. And they're like, you're, you're headed for a C-section. And I was like, fantastic. Let's just, coming get, out. let's just get this done, can we? So yeah, trying to cancel appointments while wheeling down to have my C-section. I, before I could get them all canceled, I was in and out having a C-section. I was like, that was like going through a drive-through. That happened so fast. And, that sounds uh, lovely. It really was. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of crazy. I watched my own C-section in the mirror. The, my doctor had delivered with me and her kids a goat dystocia, and we had done a we had done a dystocia. She just happened to be. What does that mean? Me. I don't know what that Difficult. word means. The goat would not. She couldn't have them vaginally. So I did a C-section on a goat with her kids there. She was just visiting. And I'm like, well, hey, help. You know, I need all. And the kids were like, oh, disgusting. So anyway. She talked about this during the entire delivery of my daughter about how we did this. And I was like, Can So we you talk are about knocked some... out. You're awake oh, when you totally have a C-section? Awake. You're just spinal blocked. So you, yeah. I don't crazy. know if I'd want to see my insides well, out. It, it's different. It's different. <laughs> it's a new experience. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Woo! I did not know that my uterus looked like that. Oh. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah. I, it was, yeah. I mean, there's a definite surreal, like, you don't feel anything, so it's, it's not, not you. Yeah, outer body. You. Outer body, and I, you know, I was more concerned about her, and it was like, you know, and as soon as they're out, I said to the anesthesiologist, "I'm like, you just gave me something, didn't you? I am like totally messed up now." He's like, "Yeah, night, night, and you're out." So, so you had your daughter, had my daughter, and that was amazing. Back at work in four days, they were like, "Please, just," and I'm like, "I promise, I won't lift anything." So back at work and of course, crazy hormonal mother, I would not leave her at home. I would not let her. Yeah. So off baby went. And so she was in her carrier with, we got a little canopy to keep flies off of her. Cause I was like, you can't have flies on you. And so back at work with baby, which was interesting, you know, you had to do a lot of pullovers and 
stop and life and you finesse that and it's amazing and wonderful and anyway growing like weed and and that was an amazing experience and then I had the realization that I can't raise this child in Southern California it, it just was a different lifestyle for me and and that's there's nothing wrong with that it. it's just not what I wanted for her so we kind of opened it up to the universe that Possibly, if something opened its way, we would look at it and really make that decision. And and I had kind of put a hard fast, like I will not have her in high schools down here where it's the competition of the car you drive and the clothes you wear. And so that happened way sooner than high school. <laughs> so, which when you put, when you open that to the universe, you have to be willing to scare yourself a little bit. And there's a reason that opportunities come when they do. They and they you were single parenting the whole yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, it's like, what am I doing? What, why, what? And I, and I know what I was doing, but it was like, why am I doing this? There's stability, there's this. But it was looking towards the future. And it's like, I can keep doing this and live in this little microcosm bubble that we live in here. And yeah, it was just like, this, we gotta do this differently. So Northern California opportunity opens up, uh, retiring practitioners selling his practice. So we came up and did the dance for a while and just said, is this where we want to be? And is this going to work? And that had some bumps and fences to climb over and as with everything. And, you, and then you get past that and you're like, this is the right thing to do. And, and then here we are. And so the practice is, I constantly pumping the brakes because for me with the practice and, and we all know, you know, there are plenty of veterinarians in this area. There, that is. I was literally counting them on my way here, yeah. and I was like, I've already recorded with maybe four in the area, and then there's at least four more, if Correct. not probably more that I don't even know. And of. I would tell you that pretty much all veterinarians are full. They're busy. They're at capacity. We all wish we had more time. And it isn't really for us, you know, with with the hospital. It's not about you know, maxing out and, and bringing on another veterinarian and an associate. The, the, the reason the clients that I have are with me or we bring in new clients is because we do it just a little bit differently. And so that's the goal for us is it isn't about numbers and it isn't about, you know, breaking that figure that we all strive, strive for. for or whatever that means because in my opinion, the harder you work, the more money you spend, and the the number's still the same. You know, well, and the more, more I've thought stuff. about this too, the more money you make, the more money you spend, because oh. then you have a boat, and you have a house, and you have a this, and you or have a the that. Or the support staff, and then yeah. all of a sudden your quality of life is, I'm not working 12 to 14 hours a day, I'm working 18 to 20 hours a day, which... You already did that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm cutting my life short. Yeah. Um, so it's about doing it differently, and, and for me as a veterinarian, I run both worlds. We've got the ambulatory aspect, and then we've got the hospital is you know the hospital aspect ambulatory being on the road on the road, road warrior yep, yep. Road what warrior. sean hardcastle called it <laughs> road warrior. <laughs> sometimes the truck is the happiest place to be sometimes the truck by yourself is the happiest place to be sometimes it's the saddest place to be as well too people say oh my god don't you get sick of driving and i'm like wow i sort out so much stuff you decompress in those moments too i feel like as a vet, something that I think about is you go from appointment to appointment some days, right? And so you might go to an appointment in the morning where you had to put a horse down mm -hmm. that you've been seeing for a long time and it's hard and you're there for the client and you're there for the horse and all of that. And then you go into vaccines the next appointment. That's crazy. And you have to just snap on Switch and off. Gears. Yeah. And and that is a 
that is a skill, a coping mechanism that you have to learn. You know, we, we uh, a couple months ago lost a patient that is has been very near and dear to us and it was in the clinic and the owners were there and, and it, I mean, it kicked everybody's feet out from underneath them and it, it was going to happen no matter how hard I tried to hold the, you know, speeding semi from speeding away. And it, it blew, every, I mean, it, everybody just couldn't talk, they couldn't function. And then what we do best is let's start cleaning up and let's start getting stuff put away and we need to do the things that we know how to do because we gotta we gotta move on. And it isn't that we're moving on from the emotional standpoint of it, it's the mechanism of this can't blow our socks off today because there will be a time and place for that, but... Where everyone has their strategy of, of how we deal doing with that. that. And, and when is appropriate. And I grew up in a good, German Irish family where you did not show emotion you were hard if you needed to have a moment you went in your room and had your moment and you know we we preach that in our household it's like we're not working not working right now you need to go when you can pull yourself together come back and let's talk about what's going on but this like, yeah go feel your feels over there and, and then, then come, come back, back and we'll talk, talk about it. I love that, that strategy is wrong it's just I'm trying to teach you, you cannot dump your emotions on the average person. There's a way we deal with that. And we joke, unless you're bleeding, dying around fire, yeah, you know, we, we got to talk about what's, how we deal with ride, riding the waves kind of thing. Your LOL's head, the dog chewed off and is gone. That sucks. That sucks, <laughs> that but sucks. It's, you're not unsafe. No one's dying. No. You know, it's, well, it's the dog good. might not feel so well, great. Well, we probably have a problem there, too. <laughs> so <laughs> that's when I go in my room and I'm like, God, this for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the the switching of gears and how we deal with it. And, and again, going back to what we talked about, how these young, you know, associates come out. You got to figure that out. You have to figure that out. And, and it's a trial and error sometimes. You do have the stamina for that, and other mm-hmm. times it, you might have the mm-hmm. realization that you really don't. Oh, no question. And there are times even in my world, where, and I, it, it, my staff knows, and I'm like, my coping mechanisms are not very strong right now, like, which just means my fuse is really short. But even just voicing that is huge. With the silliness of some of the silliness that happens, and it's like, I'm aware of it, and it's like, okay, how do I reboot and rebuild? You know, the, the, the requests, the things that happen, all those things, they're still gonna be there. But how do I rebuild the coping mechanisms or how do I how do I make my fuse just a little bit longer so that- <laughs> You have one more day in you. <laughs> that the, the silliness isn't going to, uh, there's a lot of self-talk too. I will walk the clinic sometimes outside having a discussion. You think I'm talking to a sheep, but I'm actually just talking to the thin blue air. And a lot of stuff is voiced out there that's just like, okay, all right, now come back in and, you know, regroup. And so there are big burdens, but there are also big rewards with this practice lifestyle. I wouldn't change it. You know, you get to the other side of it and you say, oh, maybe a few things I would do differently or maybe not. I don't know. I'm not there yet. But a lot of burdens. And I think that's some... Most of those are probably very self-inflicted, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it probably comes into doing it, when I say we do it differently than some of the vets. We realize, you know, in our practice, and I do, that it isn't just about taking care of somebody's animal. It's about taking care of them. 
because they love their animal. And and people say, God, how can you, how can you not show emotion, or how can you not crack when, I mean, you have to put things down. Like, how do you do that? You take care of this animal, and you you have to do that. The the sad part for me when I see someone is when I see someone in, when I see someone hurting. The hard physical part is pain, physical, emotional pain. When you see someone that you can't fix their heart, you can't fix those moments, and and watching an animal suffer and be in pain that's a difficult part of our job where it isn't an option for me to say well i'm just going to drive out when you're ready you're ready it's like my job is to point out to you that this is an end stage deal your animal is in unbelievable pain and this has to stop and let me help you finesse how we do that and let me still be here for you on the other side we don't just put an animal down and then we drive out. And I grew up with some of that with vets where it was like, you know, they'd euthanize your dog and then they'd walk out of the room and you're like, well, now, what do you, now what do you do? <laughs> what do you do now? Yeah. Where it was very cold and calloused and, and that was their coping mechanism. And so we just choose to do it a little bit differently. And, and you know, the, the, those moments, you know, the successes are great. The zebra diseases we fix, the, you know, fractured leg that comes back and, and you know, the success stories and seeing clients excel and, and or the new additions or the new babies, all of those moments are wonderful. But the difficulties in this job are seeing, it, it's kind of like a book and they're all chapters basically. And so you read this book with someone, like here, here's your edition. Or I just met you and you bring the story with you and thank you for letting me be part of the story with you. And then we make our own chapters and some of them are bad chapters and some of them are fantastic chapters. And then something happens, the unexpected, you know, and nobody prepares for it. It's not on anybody's list today that their horse is going to call up and they have to choose to go to surgery or not. And it's a financial decision and blah, 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 or an outcome or whatever, or they step in a hole or whatever. And that, that book, the, what the, how they expect the ending to happen in their book changes. And that's the part where I think we do it differently. And to, to tell people, this isn't I know how you thought it was going to go. And that's the hardest part. As an animal owner and one that you love your and care for this beloved animal, mm-hmm. that the ending has changed how you thought it was going to go. And usually pretty drastically. Usually pretty drastically. Horses don't tend to like to do things subtly (laughs) (laughs) and quickly. And so they're sort of immediate decisions and actions. And so helping someone with that process of how that story is supposed to end so that really the realization is that this, I can say, shitty moment difficult moment soul searching gut wrenching make you want to vomit moment to make these decisions is the very very last few pages of this book and look at the 300 and some odd pages that came before it we all get very focused on how horrible it was or how painful it was and it's only a couple of it's only a couple pages doesn't mean that it, it's not definitely the severity of it etc the change but it's the loss of someone's dreams and how what, what was going to happen. And so trying to be a steward for people with that and trying to keep it in the lanes is really kind of how we try to approach stuff. Whether we do it well or not, we try to. Yeah, well, I think well is also so broad because there are very diverse 
people in this county, but in the world. So what, how you would do something might be different than Absolutely. how this other vet would do it or this Absolutely. one. And, Absolutely. You know. And I think that's where you get to know your clients and it isn't, it isn't black and white. I have no two clients that are exactly the same mm-hmm. and what they need and what they want and what they wish. Some don't want to be handheld. Some would let me rock them and sing Kumbaya to them in their lap. I mean, it, it's all over the place. Yeah. Have I done that? Probably I have, but it's, it's finessing that relationship with your clients that you know what someone needs and being willing to discuss that. Like, how do you want to do this? You've got some time to do this. Dying and illness is not pretty. I mean, it really, isn't it's tough and it's inevitable for every single one of your clients because for all of us yeah for all of us but also horses don't live as long as us humans do and so it's it's part of the deal and trying to make those decisions and and I've had to make my own personal decisions and I have done too much sometimes and I've made the right calls at other times and I've not been present at other times and so I've seen all aspects of everyone always says I just wish they would go you know in their sleep and I come out like no you don't you don't I've I've been there Uh, no there's there isn't we try to just make each situation the best that we can and savor the fantastic and amazing moments I mean horses are very unpredictable creatures (laughs) they're amazing creatures and trying to keep them well and safe and the staff safe and their owners that's that's Second under your family. That's the day. That's <laughs> yeah. the day. When yeah, I mean, I put my put my daughter where she's safe and contained, and then go off and try to be that, and then come back and do it. Yeah. So yeah. it's about it's about all of that balance. So, balance is best. Do you want to talk about what your practice offers in mm-hmm. terms of your clinic, and okay. then in terms of you being road warrior? We have, as we talked about, both ambulatory and in-house hospitalization. Uh, we do everything at the hospital except surgical colic. We do not have an MRI machine that won't be on my radar. Don't want to house it. Don't want to pay for it. And really, when we get to that point, you need to be either you know UC Davis or some other facility uh, when we're getting to that. So, yeah, ambulatory. We uh, most of my repro work is at the hospital. Just getting to the point where I've been kicked at too many times and too many close calls, and so working at the clinic and breeding is is a hospitalization thing. You, really shouldn't be breeding anybody's mare out in the field. Doing that, that takes that takes some risks and for both the horse, et cetera. So we are full care. So medicine, wellness, sports medicine, surgical, except cut surgical colics. And then a lot of our new regenerative medicine, so stem cell, IRAP, ProStride. We've got a lot of new tools in our belt, shockwave, gastroscopy. And so that's great. We can kind of offer for the average client, so they don't have to run to Pioneer or, you know, over to UC Davis, which both are great facilities, differing offerings for both facilities, and then hospitalization for 24-hour care, and then foaling and breeding and that whole, that whole fun fest, January to July 15th. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you say we, so do you want to talk? Do you have a team? So I do have a team. We, I am the only veterinarian that will. That will stay that way. It's an interesting bringing associates on and interesting clients prefer to have you and I understand that. And I also understand from an associate standpoint is most of the time associates come in, they're not looking at the long haul. They're not looking at partnership. They're looking probably to do the same thing that I did. And so to build up their clientele and practice and then start their own thing. And it's not that we're not willing to do that. It's just growth wise, it's not where I wanna be because when someone is off, the other person has to pick up the slack. So then I have a practice that has 
the clientele of two veterinarians, and, and I don't know if that's a quality quality of life. That's where we are with that. We have great staff. I've got great guys that work underneath me. They're either at the hospital or they're run side by side. They are the workhorses. I mean, I they make me look very good at what I do because of what they do, and I couldn't do any of it without them. I mean, when I was in Southern California, I was just a veterinarian and had no tech, and I think I was crazy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I did all of You didn't know what you didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. So they make my job and save my body a lot, you know, packing equipment back and forth and this and that. I now understand why I carried a phone for Bill Brown for a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I now get it. So you'll see any of them either with me or at the hospital. And it just really depends on what we have in. There's no point in leaving them there unless they're building fences or fixing paddocks or something. Um, unless we have hospitalizations that need to be monitored. The way the hospital works, which is cool, is I can tap in anywhere, anytime. My house is camera in, so I get to spy on everyone at all times and everything, which is amazing and wonderful. Yeah, if you have a colic course or if you have a laminated course or things like that. And I'm literally five minutes from the clinic and don't have to live at the clinic 24-7, just 12-7, 12-14-7. Yeah, close enough. You can get away a little bit. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything within your trajectory that you want to make sure you talk about that we didn't yet? Um, We have some exciting things coming up. You know, again, as we talk about, no interest in really increasing clientele by 25%. That's not on my agenda. It's how do we take care of what we have and, and offer to new. And so we are doing more of, I I hate to call them specials, but it's more of like ties into the educational series that we talked about upcoming. So for the next year, monthly, hand in hand with our educational topic and series that we're doing, we're going to be offering a special. And so what I think that we'll do or hopes in doing, for example, we've got gastroscopy coming up. So we'll be doing an educational talk, not so much a one-on-one series, but maybe more of like the 200 and 300 level classes. So not these are gastric ulcers, but here are gastric ulcers in cases we've treated and modalities of treatment and scoping. And, you know, we've looked at studies with this horse and doing this job, et cetera, et cetera. And then tying a special to that so that people who are like, gosh, I think my horse does have gastric ulcers, but I can't afford to go to UC Davis and I can't, you know, pay Loomis's price. So we'll be offering it a substantial discount, 50% off to try to group people together in groups of four to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. So we've got a gastroscopy coming up. We've got a sports medicine coming up, which offers them pretty significant discount to try a different modality they may not be able to afford or do on their own or have some apprehension about doing it. So we'll be doing those once a month, which will be fun. It's a lot of, you know, when you scope 20 horses in a week, it's boy a good old vaccine appointment would be nice (laughs) but it's cool because we get we get to see a lot and I think when we do those clients without you know names faces etc get to see like worst case scenarios the horse I just scoped this is where we can get to and so it's it's pretty interesting to be able to pile them all into you know a couple weeks section so that's upcoming is that is the educational piece an online based thing so we are going to be trying to we're still in the how do we do this with everything now's my time to start this because it's slowing down so my social media person we're going to try to be hooking into that we've been doing some lives which you've probably been seeing try to hook into some of that and then yeah try to do an online 
subscription uh, kind of thing. Yep. Yep. And for people that don't know, what is your practice called? And then what social medias do you have? So, so we are Canyon Equine Medical Center, and I'm Dr. Katie Prince. And we are on Instagram, and we are on Facebook. And then we have a little offshoot with our minis, which is Black Fence Farms, which you've probably seen a bunch of the baby posts. And the minis are an a project they were my they are not were they are my daughter's project <laughs> and so she's actively involved in all the breeding and the folding of the babies which are always you know when there are babies on the ground everybody wants to see the clinic and mm -hmm. come see the babies which is fantastic for us because it's just huge socialization for the babies uh, which is great so and really you can't get hurt by a mini. I mean, they can kick you, but you're like, that just hurts. It's a little pinch. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that was rude. So she's actively involved in that, and um, all the mares will be foaling next year with the babies, and so lots of exciting things coming up that way. That's awesome, cool. Well, let's go into the question. So okay. what is something within the community that you wanna see evolve or change, and then how can you help with that if you're not already? So, Things have changed over the last, you know, this is now seven years that, that I've been here. And so, again, it, I think it's multifactorial and there isn't one step I see to fixing it. We work cooperatively with two other veterinarians who share call and we co-op and that they are old school veterinarians. I will tell them they're not young generation veterinarians. And what is theirs is theirs what is mine is mine and we never own clients we take care of our clients but there isn't this weirdism that sometimes exists amongst veterinarians case in point what i i see as a problem is so and so's client calls because they can't reach their veterinarian and there's a definite divide of if you're not my client i'm not going to help you out which is problematic from an owner standpoint and it's problematic from a veterinarian standpoint because truly and honestly if I can do it I'm gonna help somebody out because if they're calling me well if they're calling me there's usually two scenarios one they haven't paid their veterinarian so they're looking for another veterinarian which you Ooh, have you to, don't want that person, which you basically probably. just have to say why is your vet not answering their phone so this is time to get real and if they don't want me to come out after that point then problem solved and the other is that they're signed up and they don't have backup or whatever. So it's really leaving people hanging. And that's a difficult, that's a difficult place for me to see people struggling and they don't have help. And yes, they can load their horse in a trailer and go to UC Davis, but sometimes not. They don't have a trailer, they don't have access. And so then I'm seeing animals suffering and it's just a, it's a crappy place to sit. And so, what I'd love to see in our community is more of a co-op type of when it's dark out, <laughs> lend a hand, you know, lend a hand, work together. I mean, we, we get some clients that haven't taken care of stuff where they're no longer our clients. And we, we do try to sort of tactfully give heads up to people, don't get burned by this situation. But in so doing that, we also take a lot of stuff that somebody else hasn't. You can't also take everything for every veterinarian out there because they've chosen to turn their phone off. What I'd love to see in our community, co-op more between vets, work together. Don't attempt to own your clients, just take care of your clients because that's how you keep your clients. Just because I go sew up a laceration for your client because we run a facility that is open and you can haul in, doesn't mean that I'm gonna 
steal your client. It's the same in my world. If I can't reach my doctor, I have to go to somebody that I can reach, that I like and that I care for and blah, blah, blah. So that's what I would love to see. Set your practices up as veterinarians that you ha- you take care of your clients after hours. And if you don't, co-op more with other veterinarians. You don't have to like everyone. You don't have to refer everything to everyone, but create a support system so it's not really clogging up the system of the phone's ringing all night long and people are stranded. And you know there are practices that basically say, if you're not a client, we won't help you or give you a referral. Or there are times we do get calls and I can't do it. And like, try so-and-so, try so-and-so, and try so-and-so. And it succeeds and I circle back. Did you get taken care of? Thank you. Boom, we're done. It's a phone call. It's 15 minutes out of my life that I can do that, but they usually call back and say, I'm seeing there's a problem that I need to make sure I have some coverage. How do we do that? So that's what I would like to see change. Yeah. And you're living that, it sounds like. So that's that's how you're supporting that change. That's what, that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> that's what we're trying. So the last thing is you get to ask me one question. Okay. So this is a good one. Okay. What is the most interesting, eye-opening, what have you learned by doing this? The podcast? What have, yeah. What have you learned about people, our community, horses? It can be very general, but what, what has this brought about yourself? What has been the eye-opening thing for you? I think every single person I have on, I learn something, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's about your practice mm-hmm. or about how this hunter jumper sees the world or about why this person is the way they are. Mm-hmm. So I try to look at the day I stop learning something, it's probably the day I need to stop. And I try to go through my days making decisions that every day there should be something that makes me a little uncomfortable and scares me just a little bit. And if it doesn't, then I should probably stop doing what I'm doing. And it doesn't mean you have to live on the edge and hang from cliffs. It's just, you know, if if we get very complacent of what we're doing, I think that is absolutely reflected outward. And I know very happy, very complacent people. And I, th- I look at that and I'm like, oh my God, I want that. And then I think, no, I don't. Horses attract drama. <laughs> I feel like animal ownership Correct. in general. And then people are attracted to uh, highs and lows with horses. Because if you, you didn't like it, you would get out of it very quickly. And yeah. it, it's very interesting. Somebody asked me, why does this like come with you? Like, why is that? And I'm like, well, that's horses. And people who are attracted to that lifestyle are attracted to horses. (laughs) I was just talking to a friend about this the other day that owning animals, there is this sense of looking outward Mm -hmm. instead of looking inward. Like it takes away from doing your work because you have to care for this animal. You have to tend to this animal you have to even in a relationship right Mm -hmm. it takes you outward into something else and caring not that it's Mm -hmm. a bad thing but caring for this other being animal or human or whatever rather than doing the inner work the interesting thing it's completely the opposite because you have absolutely zero business being in around or on a horse if you are not 100 fully 100% fully engaged in that moment of what you're doing and you know as well as I do with horses they know and that's when I've seen people get hurt right or that's where the drama happens that's where the drama happens and so it is this ping pong of how do we check in when you go through that gate you better be 100 fully present 100% fully present or you have no business being there and then the ones I love are the ones that get on and you're like 
you're thinking about the thing that's like <laughs> you're gonna die <laughs> and horses have an amazing ability of picking all of that up and so we have these huge expectations of these horses of what they're supposed to do for us and they feel all the stuff that you haven't figured out and so it is basically if you get it it's a swift kick in the ass to basically say I have to continually keep working on myself in order to just shoot for unlimited potential which your horse will give you so it's a weird it's a weird balance I see it often and I'm like huh well, and you see it often where maybe the owner isn't necessarily tending to themselves mm-hmm. health-wise, Absolutely. emotionally, but they make it about the horse. They mm-hmm. say, my horse is so uncomfortable. My horse doesn't like this property. My horse doesn't do this. We, yeah, we yeah, tend to put our shit on them. <laughs> yeah, we do. And then sometimes they hand it right back to us. And you're yeah. like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if I'm about to stick a needle in a joint, my head's down by a horse's back leg, I better have my shit together. Because if I'm thinking about this or that or didn't, I'm gonna get hurt. They're wonderful animals, and it's it's an amazing experience. But you got to be 110% fully present. Otherwise, it's not gonna end well in one situation or other. You may get away with it for a while, and so that's the beauty of it. And they keeping it real. Yeah. Event, so. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for chatting with me. Yeah. Thank you. so much for tuning in to today's episode of Stable Connections, the podcast. This is your host, Shauna Burke. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, don't forget to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode. Follow us on Facebook and on Instagram. It always helps to leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on Facebook. And if you or someone you know wants to sponsor an episode, please visit www.stableconnectionsthepodcast.com. See you next week. Stable Connections is sponsored by Healthy Horse CBD. Is your horse stiff, anxious, or in pain? Healthy Horse CBD can help with all of these and so much more. Healthy Horse CBD can also help your horse with arthritis or while rehabbing. Two strengths are available and works with all mammals. Apply on the lower lip daily for best results. Visit healthyhorse.co and use discount code capital S capital C two zero to receive 20% off your next purchase. Stable Connections is sponsored by Elk Grove Milling Incorporated, the trusted maker of Stable Mix Complete Feeds. Stable Mix products are available in most Western states through Tractor Supply and their classic barrel program is available at your local California feed stores. Contact Stable Mix representatives at 916-684-2056 for personalized feeding recommendations on how to stretch your hay supply or provide complete nutrition to have a healthier, happier horse. Visit www.elkgrovemilling.com.